Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out wrightfarmhousechurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. So I call this God's Loving Pursuit. And I want you to think of, of that word pursuit or pursue at first. And does that give you a good thought or a bad thought? Well, it just depends. Depends. Um, so uh, today, as I was coming up here, we were pursued by the police. Is that good? I, I'm, I'm, I'm making that up. We weren't. Julia was with me, so I didn't. I wasn't pursued by the police. But if you're if you're pursued by the police and you look in your rearview mirror, if you have one, and you see those lights shining, is that like, oh, right, my friend, the policeman? No, no, you have kind of a negative, you know, thought there. But if your spouse pursues you, then that can be kind of a good thing, right? It just depends on how she's pursuing you. She's pursuing you with a frying pan, then maybe not. (laughs) And I think the difference, if you think about the difference between that, there's a pursuit of law. You've broken the law. And there's a pursuit of love. And so both ways will affect you, different ways. And also, if you think of God as pursuing you out of law, hey, you've broken my law, I'm going to come get you. That's kind of a negative way. But if he's pursuing you in love, then that's different. And love isn't always a really nice thing. I mean, we think of it as nice, but sometimes loving correction, correction done in love, it doesn't feel good, but it's love. And so we're going to see a little bit of that in Daniel chapter 4, where we will see um, God's pursuit of Nebuchadnezzar. And I don't want to go to a long history here. You can read through Daniel 1 through 4. Uh, uh, Really through uh, chapter 6 or so is fairly easy reading. And some of the stories that you have heard as growing up are in these chapters. But we have this king named Nebuchadnezzar. And you have to realize in those days and times, his word was law. What he said was law. And if you countered what he said, you could be in really bad trouble. You could, you could be thrown into a dungeon. You could be, have your head chopped off. I mean, whatever. And so they had this beautiful place. Uh, one of the seven wonders of the world was called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, created by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, it was supposed to be just absolutely marvelous, beautiful uh, structure. And so we have this person, Nebuchadnezzar, in chapter 4. We see him in chapter 2 and 3, and actually chapter 1. He has gone down from, uh, from uh, Babylon, which is to the northeast of Israel, and gone down a couple of times with his armies and taken over the land of Judah and other places too. And he brought people into captivity, a 70-year captivity in Babylon, the Jews in that 70-year captivity. And if you you could think about it from their viewpoint, it, it wasn't a really nice thing to be taken captive. 
But actually, this was God's love. If you, if you can read in Jeremiah and other places, it was God's love because of where the Jews were, what they had been doing, how they had been doing wrong. And it was a loving punishment, even though it didn't feel good as, as, a, as a nation. This particular chapter is divided into um, five parts. And this is my just one word statement over these verses. And we're not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read the first and the last part. The first is we, it starts out with a praise. And the last part starts out with a praise. And, and I say, I always, I use this as a, as a, my visual on this is it's a sandwich. You've got a praise on one side, another praise on the other side, like you have a piece of bread on one side and a piece of bread on the other side, and then you have stuff in the middle. And so uh, he begins with this praise, he ends with the praise, and then he has this dream that he describes. There's an interpretation of the dream, and there's a fulfillment of the dream. And so let me just read the, the praise part here, where in verse, uh, starting verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar is, is saying this. He says, To the nations and people of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And then at the end, uh, uh, starting in verse uh, 34, um, he says, Then I praise the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Uh, and then, uh, we, we well, let's see. At the same, I'll keep reading. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor was re, were, were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything He does is right, and all His ways are just. And those who walk in pride. Are able, uh, uh, he is able to humble, and so you can see a very similarity between the both praises. And if you think of that word praise, what does that mean? Praise. Well, most people think of it as maybe singing some songs or or doing something to praise God, uh, singing songs, saying, you know, I, I don't know. There, there's an emotional, an emotion uh, attached to it. But the literal word there means to brag. It means to brag about someone. And so Matthew, at the beginning, he said, I want to praise you. Did, did you? I don't know if you called that. He used the word, I want to praise all of you for the way that you are have been doing the thing, you know, uh, working together this year. He used the word praise. Well, what that means is I want to brag about you. And the interesting, the, the, the not some interesting, you cannot praise or you cannot 
brag about someone you don't know. Think about that. So I want you guys, let me think of someone. I want you guys, I'm trying to think of someone that nobody knows here in, in this, except for me. Uh, uh, I want you to uh, brag about uh, Delai, uh, my friend Delai in Fiji. Can in, in Okay, why can't you brag about him? Because you don't know him, right? All right, in the same way, you can't brag about God unless you know him. And if you notice here, he's saying, I, I'm exalting him because of this. And at the end, he, he says it again. But the reason he can praise him is because of his experience of things that he's gotten to know about God uh, in between time. And so as we read this, we have a dream. He has this dream. There's a huge tree. There's birds in it. And a messenger or a watchman shows up from heaven in his dream and says, cut the tree down. They cut the tree down. Um, they, it says, bind up the, the, uh, the stump with iron and bronze. And, and then he says, that's our, my dream. He calls in Daniel to interpret it. And Daniel goes, oh, I really don't want to interpret this dream. <laughs> Why didn't you want to interpret it? Because if he said something bad, maybe Nebuchadnezzar would say, I don't know. Okay, off with your head because you said something, something bad. Maybe that's it. But he said, don't worry. You just tell me what the dream is because he had, Daniel had told him <coughs> other dreams in the past too. And, and Nebuchadnezzar says, just lay it out for me. And he says, oh, I, sh I just wish it, this was about your enemies and not about you. Isn't that a good beginning? You know, at that point, it's like, uh-oh, this is a bad dream. And he says, here's what's going to happen. He said, you're the tree and you're everyone, you're glory, you have great glory. And, and because of the way things are going, you're going to be cut down. And for a period of time, it says seven times, and that might be just the perfect time and it might be seven years, you're going to be out of your mind. But then you'll come back in your mind when, when you... When you, when you recognize God. And sure enough, uh, that was the interpret, interpretation. The fulfillment came uh, a year later. He's up there on his balcony, this huge uh, palace, and he's looking around and he's like, man, I am a great guy. Look what I have done. And, and, uh, and, and uh, God says, okay, now it's time. You're going to lose your mind. He, and he lost his mind. He went out in the fields and just for a period of time, wherever ever much time it was, he was out there. Now, when I look at that, and, uh, and then at the end, he, 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 his sanity was restored. When I look at a story like that, we can, we can tell it like a Bible story. And the kids can say, oh, that was a neat Bible story. And two chapters later, Daniel in the lion's den. You know, we've heard that story. But when I read this, I think, how does this apply to me? And the question I ask is this, or the answer is, I, in this story, am Nebuchadnezzar. Or we are Nebuchadnezzar. For us to really make application to this and really understand it, we need to realize that I'm, I am Nebuchadnezzar in this story. 
This story is, is like when, when I did a, a series of lessons in the Gospel of John, I called it the portraits of Jesus. And I wanted to look at Jesus from different angles as we went through it. But it occurred to me as I was going through that, the people that he's involved with, the disciples and other people, that's talking about me. It's how I relate to Jesus and how Jesus relates to me. And so here we have Nebuchadnezzar, and in a lot of ways, I see myself as Nebuchadnezzar. And we're not going to really learn the lesson of Daniel chapter 4 if we only look at it in the third person, Nebuchadnezzar over there, unless we put it in to my, and and make it uh, personal. And so how am I like Nebuchadnezzar? How am I like him? Verse 4 says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. When I read that, I said, well, that's me. I am at home. I have, an, I have a, I think it's a nice house. It's not a really big house. It's a lot smaller than this house, but it's a nice house, right? Those of you who have been in my house. I remember Drew getting up in my attic. Do you remember that? <laughs> my 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 uh, uh, microwave went out. This is like 15 years ago. It's a long time ago. My microwave went out when he was over with a bunch of people. He got up in the attic and found the source of the problem and fixed it, and has been fixed ever since. Uh, it's a it's a you know small house, but it's a it's a nice house. It's warm. It's cool in the summer. I have a nice backyard. I'm at home and I'm content. I'm really content. And I'm prosperous. Well, I'm not a, you know, have millions and millions and millions of dollars, but I'm prosperous. I have enough to, I open up our refrigerator. It's not packed full just because we don't pack our refrigerator. (laughs) We, we buy what we need each day. But man, I had this morning, I had coffee and I had cream and I was content. And happy, you know, and that really describes every one of us if we think about it. There's very few living in America today that are, and of course, we can find the ones that aren't, but basically, most people are prosperous. If you have central air conditioning, an H vac system, you have more than what Nebuchadnezzar had. Nebuchadnezzar had to hire someone, not hire someone, make someone, tell someone to fan him if you wanted to be fanned. We have ice, unlimited, almost unlimited ice in your refrigerator. He had to go get it somewhere. He had to go off into the mountain somewhere, have someone go up there and carve ice. And sometimes I bet they didn't have ice. And, you know, we have it. We're prosperous. And so I can see that I am like him. I can, I'm very content, very prosperous. I, I, I could go on and on about that. But I'm, I'm a lot like him. And yet, we sometimes don't really think about God the way we should. And if you look over in verse, um, verse 27, I, I ask this question, why am I not following Daniel's advice? Here I am prosperous, and, and God is trying to catch my attention and said, in my prosperity and contentment, um, maybe I need to focus on him more than I am. And he says, therefore, your, mas- uh, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. 
Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. And so he says there, in my contentment, I can say, I don't need anything. I don't need God. I can do what I want. And he says, renounce your sin. Do what it basically do what is right. Don't oppress people. Don't, you know, uh, hurt other people. And so I sit there and think, what, what prevents me from following Daniel's advice? And I think part of that answer is this. I'm too content to think about it. I'm just too content to think. And so he says, I want you to renounce your sin. I want to look at this word sin a little bit. What in the world is sin? And I like to make it really practical. Uh, Sin is kind of a religious word in in a way, but sin is basically a self-centeredness. The more self-centered you are, the more sinful you are. And so uh, uh, we, we have this, yeah, God's put something in us to preserve our lives, to think of ourselves. Uh, you know, the first person I think of every day is usually me. <coughs> and so do you, when you wake up, what do you think? You think, oh, I had a great night's sleep or, oh, I didn't sleep very well. Are you grown or whatever? But you're thinking about yourself, right? Well, that's just, that's just normal to wake up and think about yourself because you are the first person you see every day. You're the first person you feel every day. And so it's okay to have that in a a self-centeredness in a way, but that can get so extreme in our lives that we center in ourselves uh, to the point of sin. And so uh, here's an example. And and my my, uh, background didn't come out on this. But if you look on the left side, it says other-centered, uh, and then the on the right side, self-centered. So on a scale to self, one to ten, self-centeredness being ten, being totally absorbed in yourself, being a narcissist. All right, and on the other end, someone who is serving others and thinks about other people. Which person would you like to be around? One zero. Yeah, the one near one zero, right? Okay, and we all say that, oh, I want to be around someone who is kind and nice and thoughtful and compassionate, not this person is so self-centered and selfish and everything, but I ask you this, where are you? Mm, I'm not asking you to come yell out numbers, <laughs> but you know, generally we would like to think of ourselves around a three or four, you know, down that direction. We'd like to really think of ourselves as a one or two, but then we're or a zero or one, but when then we think, uh, probably not. Maybe I'm a three or four. I'm, I'm, I, you can put up with me, you know. I'm, I'm more other-centered than self-centered. But in reality, I think just depends on the day. Sometimes we can be way over there on to the right. We're, we're not the person we want others to be to us. And so we struggle with this self-centeredness, this, this, this sin. Um, See, it, I have here. Yeah, who do you want to be? Who are you? Yeah, and so really, sin. If you think about it, it's just a. As one of my professors once said, a form of insanity, and he said, hopefully temporary, <laughs> hopefully temporary insanity. When we're so absorbed in ourselves and everything, we 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 lose our mind. We're just so when we so think of ourselves, we just lose thought of other people and the reality of the things going around us and the people around us. 
and we lose our in a sense in a sense and this is this is a this is a metaphor this is not literal but we we lose our minds we lose our god minds we're not we're not focused the way we we should be and so what happened was he was he was restored what restored nebuchadnezzar's sanity we find that in verse 34 where he says um it just really quickly says he lost his mind, verse 33, and then it says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Now, I don't think that means that he just kind of looked up in the sky and his sanity was restored. I think this is also a metaphor of saying, when I, I looked up and, and saw the source of my being, I saw who God was, I recognized God, I raised my eyes toward heaven it may be in prayer. I, I recognize God and my sanity was, was restored. And so that's what happens to us. When we recognize who God is and we recognize what he's done for us and we recognize our really our dependency on him, our sanity is restored. We come back into our right mind. We start thinking about him and, and his words of, you know, the, uh, those who want to be great among you, and we say we all want to be great, let him serve. All right. And our sanity is restored when we say, ah, oh, when I am serving others, when I'm helping others, I'm living the life that God has designed me to live. My, I'm thinking right. I'm living right. And so that's what happens with our, with our, sanity, uh, our, our sanity being restored here. My sanity, when my sanity is restored, when I'm, you could say, when I, when, when God is taking care of my sins, when I'm living the way I, I want to, I actually receive the very thing that I wanted, uh, that, I, that I really wanted, that I was striving for and couldn't get. And that's in verse 36. Verse 36, he says this, at the same time, my sanity was restored. And I would apply that when my sins were washed away. My honor and splendor were, were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became greater than ever before. In other words, the very thing that he was trying to do, be great, God gave it back to him when he recognized God. When he, I would say when Nebuchadnezzar came into a right relationship with, with God, God gave him the very thing that, that he was trying, that he was boasting about before, in, even in, in, a, in a greater way. So here's the interesting thing. God pursued Nebuchadnezzar for about 30 years, from chapter 1 to chapter uh, 4 here, or 5, 4. God has been pursuing Nebuchadnezzar, uh, one dream after another. And it seems like Nebuchadnezzar recognizes the God of heaven in the earlier times, said, yeah, Daniel's God, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. He recognizes, don't say anything about their bad about their God. Uh, I think that's in chapter 2. Uh, and so he recognizes that. And then here, he finally, God finally catches him with this dream and this, inter and, and this fulfillment of the dream. And so my application is this. God pursues us too. The light, the, the light is in our rearview mirror. We're seeing the light in the rearview mirror. Is it a bad light or is it a good light? Good. It's a good light. 
God pursues us out of love. He, he pursues us with great patience. He pursues us with forgiveness. And he does that all through his son. Uh, let me end by reading this passage in Psalms 139, verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. God is pursuing us. I think we should slow down and let him catch us. Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.